Hey everyone, this is Rumble, and I'm Michael Moore. Welcome back. I told you yesterday you'd hear from me within 24 hours, and here I am. Um, I, I've sort of decided, I think what we need to do, our weekly podcast, remember that's what we officially started out uh, doing back on December 17th. Um, for right now, during this crisis, we, um, we'll, we're going to do this on a somewhat of a, on a daily basis, or at least five days a week during the weekdays, and maybe we'll do one on the weekends, but at least I'm going to commit to, to, I'll be in your inbox, or it'll be on your platform, or however, however you're notified of this podcast, um, by midnight Eastern time, each night, we will have posted the next episode. This is episode 59, um, and... On today's episode, I have with me one of the great American thinkers of our time, um, an esteemed economist, author, professor. He teaches uh, in the Department of Public Affairs. He teaches economics and government uh, and history at the University of Texas in Austin. I'm very honored to have him with me here today, the wonderful and much needed right now, James Galbraith. His books include Inequality and Instability, The Predator State, and The End of Normal. His father was the renowned economist John Kenneth Galbraith. He was a singular force working from the time of President Franklin Roosevelt, all the way through the Kennedy and I think into the Johnson administrations in the 60s. His ideas helped to shape the New Deal, the New Frontier, and a new way of trying to act as Americans. Starting with during the Depression and World War II and afterward. His son is no less prominent and no less important to us right now. But first, uh, let me say that I'm, I'm very happy to announce that uh, we have a, another new underwriter uh, for this podcast. Uh, so we're very happy and proud uh, to have ExpressVPN uh, join us. ExpressVPN stands, VPN, if you are not tech savvy, stands for Virtual Private Network and allows you to protect your privacy and your security when you're online. And some of the people in our last film, who were, when we were working on the film, uh, used this. And, uh, you, you know, we have to, when we're making a movie, especially the kind of movies I make, you have to be kind of careful uh, so that the, uh, the right or the wrong people don't find out uh, what you're up to. And uh, ExpressVPN is it's sort of the premier group that does this uh, very thing. Let me just say this. <laughs> The huge uh, tech companies uh, in this country, they pay next to nothing in taxes, uh, meaning that they barely give anything back to the society that has made them rich. How do they get rich? By using your personal data and selling it. And when they grab this and sell it off to the highest bidder, they get wealthy and you have your privacy violated. So ExpressVPN, they can block this from happening. Uh, it encrypts uh, all of your data uh, so that it's protected from hackers and anybody else that's trying to uh, possibly check up on you. And 
I'm so happy that they've decided that they want to underwrite this show so that this podcast can come to you. And I thank them uh, for doing this. Um, in return, they are going to have this offer. If you sign up for like a one-year thing with them, they'll make the first three months free. If you, when you go to them at ExpressVPN, so that's Express, you don't like the Express train, ExpressVPN.com and go slash rumble when you type that in and you'll get three months free. Uh, ExpressVPN.com slash rumble. Ninety-six to zero. Um, that sunk me last week. The Senate vote to give how many trillions? I'm not sure of. Uh, to um, the one percent, corporate America, Wall Street, cruise ships. I don't know who's getting it, but um, uh, James, that just um, that just really sunk me. I don't know how you felt about it, but uh, yeah, it, it's going to the people who own stock and the people who have. Uh, hold the bonds of these companies, uh, but while it will keep them out of bankruptcy for a period of time, uh, it's uh, uh, you know fundamentally not going to change the reality, which is that I don't think very many people are going to get on cruise ships for a long time uh, after this experience, and I suspect that the airline industry will not see a return of customers. Right. And so we're uh, we're essentially allowing the the owning class in these industries to uh, uh, escape with fewer losses than they might otherwise have experienced. Um, but the world is going to be changed by this in ways uh, which uh, we've only, I think, just begun to grasp and that no amount of bailing out the industries can stop. Right, because how do you bail out the human mind that says, don't get on a cruise ship? <laughs> or Right, exactly. Know, I mean, or, of course, that's a minor case and those ships are, are not registered in the United States and it's a scandal that they're bailed out in the first place. Right. They, they, they have been evaders of U.S. regulations and labor standards and everything else for many, many years. But the airline industry is another thing. We've become very accustomed to a lot of international travel. And how do you persuade people that destinations are safe uh, when uh, there's uh, something like this is, is, has, has happened. It's well, going to yes. be a long time. And it is going to be a long time. Dr. Zeke Emanuel, yeah. who spent many years at the NIH and now runs the public health uh, division there of the University of Pennsylvania. And uh, he has said, and nobody wants to hear this, and I understand why they don't, um, that this is a, at least a two-year pandemic. Um, the virus will never truly leave, uh, just like um, I mentioned yes, in yesterday's podcast that the bubonic plague is actually still with us. There's about a thousand cases a year, but we have medicine and treatments and things like that where it doesn't it doesn't spread and you know people survive it. But the plague has been with us for you know <clears throat> I don't know what five five hundred plus years now. So um, I don't want to get on a plane anytime soon. I don't you know I don't uh, yeah. even after we're through the first wave of this. He said this is going to go for two years and it's going to be a series of. You know, there's gonna it's gonna peak and then it'll go down and then we can come out of the house for a few months until it comes back and then we got to go back in the house until it dies down, which it will. And each time it'll get weaker and maybe by the third wave of it, um, you know, we'll be fairly safe. Nonetheless, our life, life as we knew it, is uh, completely altered um, at this point. I think that's I think that's entirely plausible that. Uh, 
we existed in a world where we did not take this kind of thing uh, into account. Uh, we now exist in a world uh, where we have to take it into account. Uh, and the task is always going to be to uh, make sure that we have, or to try to make sure that we have the adequate adequate medical capacity and the adequate capacity to uh, to get as a social matter to get through uh, these periods when we have to shelter in place, when we have to do what we're doing now. Uh, we are only beginning to uh, confront the task of getting organized in order to do that. Uh, and we're much less well prepared, much less well set up than societies which uh, have organized themselves differently. And it's clear that while the Chinese had a bit of a slow start, they were able to mobilize the entire population. They were able uh, to enforce a quarantine, and they were able to keep people supplied. Uh, so they were able to come through this, suppress the virus. Uh, obviously, there's a continuing risk uh, in China as everywhere, but they were able then to uh, begin to bring back the crucial capacities, medical supplies uh, that they're now producing and shipping all over the world. And this is only in a matter of months, but they were extremely well organized to do that. What we've done, and it really is a product of the of the neoliberal era of the of the era of free market economics since the late 1970s, is we've stretched our supply lines. We've uh, we constantly minimized costs, constantly put things out to where we could get the cheapest uh, and fastest uh, sourcing of things, uh, and as a result, we well things were in fact provided in this country very efficiently and very well inexpensively by comparison with what they could be. It's also a very fragile system, subject to disruption, and it is being disrupted. And we're going to discover the consequences of not having uh, the reserve capacity. And we have to get organized very quickly to restore that, or we're going to uh, you know, suffer even more. And there are lots of aspects of this, medical supply chains, but also, I would say, food uh, and basic medicines. And, uh, mm. and the, the, these things have to be really changed the way we think about the, the, what's essential in our lives. When you say we've done this, the, the, the system we've created has uh, been created based on trying to get things cheaply, quickly. Um, and, and of course, we're always sold that this is, a, this is the best way because they pass, that, they pass that cheap cost on to us, the consumer. And, um, and so we get to buy a lot of crap. Um, sorry, it's not all crap. I'm, I'm, I am happy to have this iPhone. I will admit that. It it, it, perfor it performs a function for me. Nonetheless, I'm on an iPhone 7. I don't believe, I never believe that you should be buying, you know, you got to get the 8 because it's the 8's out now. Got to get the 9 because the iPhone 9's out now. Now it's the 11, you know. But at some point, the 7 doesn't work. You know, and you got to you gotta get the next one. I mean, how would you describe this system that we've built, this consumer culture that we've created and that's only one piece of this because there's other things I don't consider part of that, that, that consumer excess or that the way that we live on having to buy the next great thing just to have the next great thing. There are things that we, like you said, the basic things to survive, the food distribution system, how we make our, grow, grow our food, make it, distribute it, um, how we transport ourselves is important. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not a big fan of the airlines, but nonetheless, um, how are we going to get from A to B? Um, you know, what's, I mean, all, it seems so overwhelming to me. And I know, and I want you to explain this, I guess, to people listening. Explain it yeah. to me. Well, I have a, I, you know, I have a high school education. <laughs> many of these things will, will have to be reconsidered and redesigned. Uh, they, uh, 
I mean, one I want I could start compiling a list, and I could only come up with a few examples. But you think of all the service establishments uh, that. Uh, we have restaurants, which are typically very crowded. They're crowded because that gives the restaurant a chance to have more customers uh, and to make its cover its costs. Uh, and uh, if you implement social distancing, even when you o- open up the restaurants, they're going to be able to handle many fewer people. Question is, are they viable? That's going to cause us to rethink how we do that kind of food delivery, I imagine. Uh, you think about all the things that involve crowds, and just to think about concerts and uh, uh, political and any kind of, of, of big crowd mm-hmm. event. Movie um, theaters. These these things are going to have to be. Uh, they're first of all they have to be uh, held off for quite a period of time to think about alternative ways to uh, have those kinds of, of of enriching cultural experiences or, or fun for that matter. Uh, and uh, and uh, and when they if they do come back, they're going to have to come back very carefully so that. Uh, we have all kinds of, of, of capacities that we haven't. Uh, we're going to need. We're going to need people to uh, you know to to monitor and check people's health status in the way that we have not had in order to maintain a, a control of this. So if, once we get it under control in the first place, if we can manage that much. Uh, what do you so, mean by that? Do you mean uh, like if you want to go to the theater, um, you're, they're going to have to take your temperature at the door, and including in absolutely addition, every in building your, you walk into in China, someone takes your temperature. Absolutely. So we're going to have to do that for a while. We're going to, well, if we don't get it done, we're going to end up with more outbreaks and more shelter in place than than we might otherwise uh, be able to get away with. Uh, testing, testing is obviously something we've botched badly. Uh, so far, uh, we don't have adequate testing, but when we get the testing capacity up, uh, then we're going to need people to uh, to to staff and, and manage the testing operations, and that's going to be a large-scale ongoing activity. Uh, so one one can think about all kinds of things where we're going to have work that people need to need to do. But even before that, as we go through this, we think about all of these people who uh, are really the worst treated workers in our society, people who are checkout clerks or stockers or uh, uh, security guards or people who keep the people who work in the warehouses and do the mm. package things and ship. All of these people are now the most essential workers we have after healthcare workers. They, they are the ones we're relying on to keep us supplied and to keep everybody calm and in their houses mm-hmm. uh, during this period. And we need to pay them more. We need to protect them medically. We need to cover their medical costs. Uh, so again, one is only beginning to think about the kind of reorganization that we need to have to put the core values back where they, where they need to be. Uh, and I'm not going to, you know, derogate, uh, you know, people's consumption preferences and so forth in the ordinary sphere of things. That will change some. But we've also had an economy that is called the plutonomy, which is a large share of consumption being uh, uh, essentially directed to a very small share of the population with extraordinarily um, extraordinarily wealthy. Uh, and that, the whole design of of uh, you know the high end housing and 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 the kinds of of uh, goods that have been uh, going into that that's also going to be problematic. Mm. Uh, so we those, those what things, that is the, the plutonomy, just for people so they understand what you mean by that, the plutonomy. Oh, it just it just means an economy driven by the consumption habits of very rich people. Mm. It's actually a, bank, a term that was invented, I think, by economists at Citibank, uh, and it's a rather good one at describing the way the 
the economy has been oriented toward the extremely wealthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, one, let me come back to another point, though, because it's really uh, perhaps before we get there, we're going to have to go through a major decision about what to do about uh, all people's debts. Uh, and this is going to be the financial crisis, but on a very much larger scale. Uh, we have people have been piling up debts heavily, of course, in the course of this expansion, student debt and credit card debt and automobile debt and housing debt, every kind of debt. And corporations have been piling up a lot of debt um, and, and mainly by uh, or to a substantial extent because that's a way to get money to buy back their stock and keep their stock prices up. Um, and as income falls and revenue falls, um, and even if people are uh, well, first of all, the first thing that has to happen is that we keep people, people sheltered, their bills are going to have to be deferred, uh, mortgages, their rent, their utility bills, uh, and there can't be any evictions or foreclosures or utility stashes. That has to be uh, stopped, or otherwise we're not going to cover, uh, be able to deal with the health problem. Mm. Uh, and then when we start up again, those people, those incomes are not coming, going to come back to cover those debts. So, the, uh, those debts are going to have to be resolved. Uh, and the, if they're not resolved, the people who have made money in this crisis are going to come and snatch up properties, and you're going to have hedge funds buying houses on a scale never before seen. Uh, not, I mean, they already started after the crisis, the last crisis. This kind of thing is going to be a social decision we have to make. Do you want the society to become essentially an armies of, of people who are out on the street? Uh, it will not last that way. So that has to be dealt with. Uh, the right way to think about it is well, this is a war, and in a war, allies do not charge each other for the costs of the war. Uh, you have to you have to make sure that those debts, in fact, are forgiven. Uh, and, and then we can reset the whole financial system. But that's going to be a very big political decision, which would require, a, 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 you know, a, 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 a sense a come-to-Jesus moment on both political parties because they have not really uh, been able to face it yet. Mm. Many of them, of course, being paid by the uh, by the people on the other side. By the people who are the, yes, the, the are owed the money and when they want their money. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, and you know this. Think about, for example, our Secretary of the Treasury. He was, he was the uh, guy who who put uh, turned Andy Mac into a uh, into a foreclosure mill. Right. Uh, this is not cannot be allowed to happen again. You know, there's a good chance he will get another four years. I mean, I'm sorry to have to say that out loud. Uh, let me spit on the ground. <laughs> there we go. All right. There's yeah. a, there's always been that possibility. Yeah. Uh, How do we get through uh, this? How do we get through this? Seriously, how will we ever recover from this if if he's in the White House for four more years? Well, uh, that's a problem we would have to face if we have to face it. Uh, the a crucial question is uh, at, right now is uh, will there be a viable Democratic Party alternative? Uh, it's not obvious to me that uh, even though he's in a commanding position uh, so far, that there will be a majority of delegates uh, for Joe Biden uh, when he get when when right. the convention time come. And of course, it's not obvious. In fact, it's pretty clear that there won't be a convention in the traditional sense, right? Uh, because you can't bring 
you know, all of the leadership of a political party to one place and put them in close quarters for three days under these circumstances, it's obviously impossible. So thinking about how I we're could going des- to I could designate a few of them that I know. I would have them there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we can say that as uh, you know, the Mikado, uh, it'll surely not be missed, but let's- Right. You know, no, but yeah. no, I wish no ill on anyone at this point. Uh, yeah, no, no, nobody um, would wish that. But in no. any event, it's clearly not going to happen in either party. Obviously, the Republicans uh, will do what they're going to do, but the Democrats uh, have to face a number of, as- of, of of challenges about this particular situation. And, what, uh, what are they? What, are the, what, are, what do the Democrats have to face head on right now? Uh, well, like- right now, I mean- the, the, the party is divided. The leading candidate has obvious questions about his capabilities. It seems to me that when you're looking at effective leadership in this crisis, you need to have people who are, are on the front lines, who are dealing with it, who have leadership capacity, uh, who are uh, in touch with the real world and who have, are expressing and, and carrying out the values uh, that we know are important. Now, there are such people. They are emerging. Uh, but uh, the fact is they're not going to emerge out of the United States Senate. Uh, they're going to emerge from the governors uh, because those are the people who mm-hmm. are able to show leadership right now. And we really have to rethink uh, how, uh, what we're going to do as a, I mean, what the Democrats have to think what they're going to do as a party because they're clearly on a, on a path that is uh, exceedingly dangerous. Uh, and if you have two candidates out there who are uh, – extremely doubtful in the capacity. And the fact is that the federal government cannot be held together for another four years uh, in any in any recognizable form. If the federal government is not held together, the country will not stay together uh, in any serious way. I mean, we're really looking at, at uh, a, 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 already a, a major shift to the state level uh, in terms of where the leadership is. And someone has to come out of that in order to take control of the whole country and make the federal government function effectively. That is what happened in 1933. Uh, Governor of New York came out of the, uh, came out of the state administration where he'd been dealing with the depression for four years. Uh, and he took control of the national government and he had a team, uh, which had, you know, imagination and administrative capacity. And he was able to raise that to the federal level, uh, and get things going, uh, in a, in a way that was addressed to the actual problems and that was not subservient uh, to the financial interests that had failed. Uh, we have much less time to achieve the same effect, uh, but that's that's the task for us now. All right. So for, you know, the people who are listening to this podcast and, you know, they have, they have the everyday work a day job uh, and they're at home. They've been furloughed. They've been laid off. Um, they've had no, um, they've had no word, first of all, that their health insurance is going to continue. Um, they will get unemployment insurance, but they don't know if a month from now they'll still have health care. Just that, that one thing, I've heard that from so many people. There are so, of all the times that you might need your health insurance, it would be right now. And And for people to be, I mean, they're in this terror. They're in this place of terror that, that, their insurance now runs out because they're unemployed and, and something happens. And I know the government, the federal government said, we're going to take care of anybody who gets this, gets this virus, but there's no, there's no piece of paper. There's no, I haven't seen anything that will assure people that if they get sick and plus you're going to have to prove that it was the virus too. You know how the insurance companies are. What if you're in for some kind of heart failure? What if you're in for something else? 
And then you have sure, no health insurance. Of, oh, it's just absolutely, absolutely. If the hospitals are have no capacity, they have no capacity for anything. Uh, and uh, people, of course, have many, many uh, healthcare demands at this point. Uh, and if uh, they have no income and they have no insurance, uh, this is a, a, a blockage. And the insurance companies are uh, having difficulty dealing with the demands that they even from the people who are insured. I read the other day that in some situations, people in hospital beds who are ready to go out can't leave and go to a rehab facility because the, the insurance companies can't get the approvals done uh, for that. So they're occupying beds that are desperately needed. It's This This is a system which is in the process of uh, of disintegrating. And it's, it's now, I think, very obvious uh, that uh, a major emergency change is going to have to be made uh, so that people can get that off their minds and be sure that within the limits of the capacity to provide the care that they can get care and that they don't have to, they won't be bankrupted, that they don't have to pay for it. So our representatives uh, and, are not done with the work that they have to do to protect people. Oh no, 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 oh no. It's, it's, and they, 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 what they did, this last bill was they responded to the pressures on them from their lobbyists and from their contributors. And they did a little bit of, of, of what they usually do in a slump. They, uh, they, they threw some money at, at, at ordinary Americans, not in, a, in, the, in my view, the least efficient way to get this done. Uh, and uh, they, uh, and then they said, gee, two trillion is a big, big um, chunk of change, uh, which is not entirely false. Uh, and, but they, they weren't, they did very little for the medical supply chain. They did nothing for the healthcare system. They didn't fix the problem of not being able to hold elections, uh, that having elections have to go to vote by mail. There are many, many things that they didn't fix, and they've got to start working right now. And I hope working with a with a clearer m- mindset about what is required and mm. uh, not not following uh, the same playbook that they followed with 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 the third with the third bill, the fourth one really has to be you know focused on the emergency and 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 doing what the healthcare professionals uh, say is necessary, doing what's necessary to protect the supply chain, doing what's necessary to get people to it to a place where they're secure enough to uh, uh, to, to shelter in place without. Uh, with, with, without the kind of fears and anxieties you just described, Ireland just nationalized their healthcare system. They said we're going over to a single uh, system, a single public system. When did uh, when did like they the do national- that? Oh, just about in the last few days. Oh, uh, you're wow. Ireland has yep. you mean nationalized it like the UK is na- is has a national healthcare system. Yeah, yeah, the the Irish had a uh, kind of a mixed system. They had private health uh, mm-hmm. hospitals and so forth. They've taken over them all. Uh, this is all those Catholic hospitals in Ireland. They've just taken over the whole thing. They have yeah. nationalized the hospitals in Ireland. Wow, that's correct. And they had to do that because because, because of that's this. the only way to guarantee the capacity will be there to make sh- help hope that the capacity will be adequate for what's required and that everybody has equal access to it. Wow, uh, you know. We're we're in a situation here where where you look around Europe and you say, okay, what is going on in Italy? We have three countries that have provided aid to Italy, uh, and they don't include Germany. They don't include the United States. Uh, they first the big one is China, uh, and it was a team from my mm-hmm. wife's home province of Fujian that flew uh-huh. into Lombardy, setting up. Uh, you know, facilities there and there was a there's a medical brigade from cuba uh doing uh setting up a field hospital in lombardy running a field hospital in lombardy right now i mean you can imagine 
from Cuba and one mm. of the richest provinces, certainly the richest one in Italy, one of the richest ones in Europe. Mm. Uh, and uh, the third one is Russia, which has been sending convoys of aid. Uh, where are we? We're in a mired in, in, in a desperate situation trying to get our own act together. And, and mercifully, uh, this is, a, uh, uh, we've, we've reopened channels of communication and cooperation, uh, with China, which has started yesterday sending plane loads of supplies that are critically needed in New York, Los Angeles, and other cities. They'll come in. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, that shows you that we have to help each other. It's a, and we have to recognize that when we, that, that, uh, you know, the, the benefit of being able to receive uh, these things in the short run and the necessity to make sure that we're better protected in the long run. There's no way we'd be able to help Italy at this point now, is there? I mean, that's... No, of course not. No, yeah. no there's not. Uh, but, you know, the fact is there are other countries out there that are doing it. And the reason they're able to do it is that they were better prepared all along. Mm. Should we Should we call up Cuba and ask for some help? I mean, I know that's not going to happen, but... You hear about well, you're <laughs> you're the expert on Cuban medical care. You probably know as much about it as any American. But well, here's uh, what I know: you know they are very yeah. happy to send. They have so many. They train so many doctors. I mean, their goal is to have a doctor in every neighborhood, and uh, and it's the truth. I mean, they they have an incredible medical system, medical schools, and they supply doctors throughout Latin America. I mean, it's I know any country you go to in South America, Central America. There are Cuban doctors there. They are the lifeblood of their systems. And, um, you know, but uh, I guess you can't bring that up now in this country. Cause, uh, I don't see why not. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry no, if I, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. People, but the reality is the reality. Uh, you know, yeah, that say, is. The, there's a Cuban, Cuban field hospital in northern Italy at this moment. That is the reality. And, and yet. And yet, one of the Democratic presidential candidates, uh, beginning with uh, being asked that question by Anderson Cooper on 60 Minutes about uh, why would you say anything good about Cuba? And the candidate goes, well, because just like pretty much what your grandmother told you, you know, if you can't say something nice about somebody, you actually, most people, even the worst people you know, have maybe one redeeming quality. In this case, you know, with Cuba, you have a number of things that they've done for their people and then they, how they've helped other people. And well, anyways, that, well, it's, it's, I mean, it's simply a, a, a category or a big mistake uh, to project everything onto the leadership uh, of a country. There's a certain degree of social organization and the you know, professionalism in the Cuban healthcare system and the Chinese healthcare system. Uh, and it, you and and a priority to these things, which means, as you say, that they have enough of uh, they have a, they have trained a lot of of doctors and nurses, um, and they're able then to deploy as needed uh, to deal with them the, the health crisis of the whole population. Uh, you know, there were uh, again to come back to China, uh, the case that we've been following closely from from my my wife's province. Uh, Twelve hundred uh, medical personnel went into Wuhan, right into the into the the maelstrom and pitched in. Mm -hmm. um, and they're you know fantastic how brave these people are and how determined they are. Very brave uh, to yeah to get it done. Yeah, 
Yeah, you don't have to like the Chinese government or the or the or the or the CCP or what have you to understand. This is an organizational capacity that any country under any system needs to have in order to deal effectively. And by the way, the United States has had it in the past. We were the most efficient uh, country of the world at getting mobilized to fight the Second World War. Uh, and we w- were able to pull that together. And the reason we were is that we'd spent the previous decade of the 1930s building the infrastructure mm-hmm. and creating a kind of national esprit de corps, national spirit, uh, which meant could be, could be mobilized in order to meet that challenge. Uh, we've become, uh, you know, very, very uh, we've, we've uh, the system that we've had in the last forty years is very different from that system. So I'm not asking that we think about you know importing something from some other country. We ought to go back to our own traditions uh, and deal with it. I can tell you another story if you've got a second. Yeah, yeah, please. My father, yeah, yeah. My father was involved in this, uh, and uh, he'd come from Canada in the 1930s. And in the 1939-40, he was uh, working for the National Defense Advisory Commission. And then, Office of Price Administration, Civilian Supply. Right after um, the uh, Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941, two days later, there was a, a meeting to discuss critical materials, uh, which, according to my parents, uh, they went down the list alphabetically, which was very slow until they got to R. And then the light went on in people's brains and the word rubber came to mind. And of course, the Japanese were at Malaya practically by that point. Uh, And so my father left the meeting uh, with a lawyer by the name of David Ginsburg, a very prominent lawyer later in life. Uh, And he he and and, and Ginsburg wrote an order banning the sale of rubber tires in the United States. And the kicker was they didn't work for the agency that had the power to enforce that order, which was the Mm. War Production Board. So they walked it around to the commissioners and they said, here's the rubber order, sign it which they did, not asking who the people were who were asking. Uh, and they walked back to their office in this other agency and called the networks. And the next morning, uh, rubber tires were not for sale in the United States. They were all conserved for the essential It purposes. happened that quick. Overnight. Overnight. So, my, my dad so that, said he, that, he, went, what, he went by the service station in Alexandria, Virginia the next morning, and rubber tires were not for sale. Wow. Okay, um, so, so December 7th is Pearl Harbor. This meeting takes place on December 9th. That's and, right. And by so we're talk, what talking day? Monday morning, the 10th of December. By uh, the 10th uh, of December, they've shut down the rubber for tires because we need the rubber for the war right. effort. And, that, right. and by shutting down. And, the, and for, for essential <clears throat> purposes. I mean, it wasn't all right. for the war effort. Right. But, 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 by, but, that was the, but that was the end of making cars. So. Oh, yeah. And they put a stop order m- on cars uh, uh, very soon. Uh, and, uh, and 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 I think it was Ford uh, defied the order and continued to produce produce two hundred and fifty thousand automobiles because they were profitable. And the government confiscated them, and that became the government fleet for the rest of the war. Uh, the other thing my dad did was to he, he uh, was responsible for the thirty five mile an hour speed limit to serve save gasoline and oh had to call God. the governors to the one what two governors declined to enforce it. One of them was was. Uh, Texas, and it was Papio Daniels, said, Professor, I understand what you're saying, but in Texas, you go 35 miles an hour, you don't get there. <laughs> what happened to us? What happened to that kind of, like, boom? Oh, it's still we, there. We've got to do oh, this. I, I definitely believe it's still there. I can see it happening. Uh, I saw it, ha- you know, you can see it happening with the Javits Center being converted to a field hospital. Uh, there's a huge amount of competence in this country. The problem is it's not at the federal level and not at the federal level in either party. 
Yeah. Uh, and that is what has to be changed. That has to be changed very, very quickly. Now. You need to have the kind of, recover the kind of administrative capacity and competence that you can see in mayors, in cities around the country, and, and in governors, uh, at, uh, both parties actually, uh, trying to do their best under these circumstances. But they're, cop- they're obviously at the top. Uh, we're, we've been run, by, uh, run into the ground by an oligarchy. Uh, and you know, this was true in the 1920s as well. That's why Herbert Hoover couldn't get us out of the depression. It it took a it took a change, and it took a powerful uh, personality and someone who was prepared to 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 uh, reset the value system at the federal federal level. So how are we going to make that happen? Because you know I think we know it isn't Biden, and you know some of us obviously we want Bernie, but it, the other side is the other part of the party isn't going to accept Bernie. So it may not be. No, I, mean, I love Bernie and I've supported him uh, for five solid years yeah. uh, in every way I could. Uh, but we don't have to, I think we, everybody really knows what's, right. what's possible and what's not possible. Right. Okay. Uh, so what does that mean then? What do we, what do we do between now and the, in the virtual convention that's probably going to have to take place? Well, uh, people need to come to their own conclusions. Uh, and I, but I think the first thing one has to recognize is that what we have coming out of this is not viable. Uh, and so once you do that, then I think fairly obvious conclusions present themselves. You have to ask who would be viable. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that's a question. And how do you get to the, from where we are now to the position of having uh, someone who has capacity to handle this crisis? Yeah, when you say viable, it's not just about who can get elected. It's, we need, it needs to be the person that can handle this crisis and take it like FDR did and, and, and beat it, win it do whatever, and then come out of this in some, come out of the collapse, come out of the, you know, the devastation of this in some way that we can rebuild, where people can rebuild communities, businesses, their lives, whatever, whatever it takes, you know, who's going to, who's going to, who is that person that the majority of Americans are going to, you know, follow into battle to make this happen? Well, so ask the, you know, again, people need to come to their conclusions, but ask the question, who's on the front lines doing a good job right now? Well, okay. So uh, wait, let's just, and, let's just, okay. There's the elephant I, in the room. I think, I think the uh, answers to that are going to be obvious. Yeah, they're to obvious. Very an, they're very obvious um, answers so, to that. And, 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 and I'll be the first to admit that while, you know, probably the first person that's come to mind, I, this is somebody I haven't necessarily supported in the past um, uh, doesn't necessarily share my politics, but I'll tell you, I've been so, and we are talking about the governor of New York. I am talking about the governor of New York. I've been so impressed because I'm, I am now quarantined. I'm, I'm here ensconced in New York city in the midst of, of this devastation. And, um, it's the only good moment of the day that you start to feel like something's happening, uh, and somebody's going to make it happen. And, um, it's it and and maybe that as california sadly is very soon now going to experience perhaps what new york uh has experienced gavin newsom uh may step forward and people will see that there's another person that is um is smart and can lead it, 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 it may be and i i heard governor cuomo's speech at the javits center I would recommend that everybody uh, look it up on, on on the ABC News site where I saw it was. Uh, now, the, the, tell you tell you people's values and their capacities emerge at this at this at this point in time, mm. at this moment in this in this kind of situation. And I would argue that only someone who has uh, who 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 can is 
persuade the American public that they are up to dealing with this challenge has any really serious chance of, 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 of defeating the incumbent mm-hmm. uh, in, the, mm-hmm. in the fall election. Mm-hmm. And it's, it just becomes a, the, the requirement for going forward in any serious way. See, there are people right now listening to this and they're going, Mike, uh, James, um, please. Uh, Cuomo has done a good job of, you know, uh, convincing Trump to help to send things here, send the big boat, whatever. And if you're trying to imply that this may help defeat Trump, uh, well, as he showed to the governor of Michigan, you know, well, it's one reason why I'm, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, you know, no, I know. I, I'm, I'm holding back a little bit on, I mean, because it's, it, it's, it's really a problem right now for the democratic party yeah. uh, to, uh, to understand where that they have to make a, a choice of what their values actually are in this situation. Mm. They really, and the, and the fact that this is not a beauty contest and it's not a question of whether you can make a television speech. It's a question of showing something much more profound uh, and, uh, and important because the country needs to be led. It clearly, clearly needs to be led in an honest, capable and capable way and toward a yeah. set of values which preserve us as a country and as a society. It's nothing less than that. So should I edit this part of the podcast out of the podcast? Because <laughs> I, I, I'm afraid, you know, Trump, 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 certainly Don Jr. pays some attention uh, to me, what I write on, on social media and what I do. And they're, they've tweeted at me a number of times. Uh, so I'm aware that they're aware. And the last thing I want to do, because I just think that Cuomo has played this so well um, in telling Trump what he needs to hear and it's kind of like all you got to do is just say the words and that's it doesn't matter whether you mean them or not it's just enough and uh um you know you know i don't i don't think yeah i don't think you can judge what people really mean what what you can judge is is how they speak to other people and and how they you know lots of things of that you know what decisions they're making uh, and how they're focused on the on the on the true issues in this problem in a way that reflects a grasp of reality and a capacity to manage uh, these kinds of things uh, seem to be what really what's important well yeah but we know what that means we we know that there's one person who's in the white house who doesn't understand how to do this even if he wanted to we all can see that he doesn't know how to do it like put aside all your feelings, anybody that might have about the individual in charge. Um, once you realize, and I don't know if he's realized it, but once you realize that, holy shit, we're in deep, deep trouble now. <laughs> you know. Well, I, I mean, I, I, it's. I think it would get us off track to to engage in the conversation about. <laughs> about the incumbent president uh so should i cut uh, this should i cut this out of the podcast yeah I, i'm not it's just, it's just not my priority I, yeah. I, as a someone who's trying to focus on the on what is required here it's probably the, uh, not necessary to right. draw me out well, on my views of this no that's okay i i, I speak my yep, own views yep. they're my views i'll make that clear i've never yep. cut anything out i've never filtered anything out of this so i'll just say that these are my opinions and my feelings and not necessarily yours, but but you've made. Well, I mean, it, 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 it's, you know, yes, it's just my my priority at the moment is thinking about how, first of all, how you organize the economy so that you can get through this. It's clearly a long term or a medium term proposition, a proposition of, of of months, not days. 
uh, and it requires us to to pay really close attention to the supply chain, as well as get the medical supply uh, system up and running properly. Those are the most probably the most urgent economic priorities. Uh, and also to make sure that people have enough resources, including undocumented workers, including people mm-hmm. who are low income or not tax filers, that they have enough resources to keep themselves safe and provisioned and that they're protected. I'll tell you an idea, by the way, that I think would be really important here and that yeah. deserves to be some 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 airtime uh, that would uh, be uh, – and that is very easy to implement. Well, let the uh, communications companies, cable, TV, uh, internet, and telephone – provide their basic service for free for the duration of the crisis. People need to be at home. Their communications need to be assured. That would put some money in pockets in uh, every household that has a smartphone or an internet connection. Uh, and uh, that doesn't discriminate according to your legal status or anything else. And you just pay the, tele- the, the communications companies to do it. Um, and I, that would be of just one of the fastest ways to get some relief that would go out very far around the country and benefit low-income people uh, proportionally much more than. And the go- what the government would do is the government would pay people's pay the companies just pay the, pay the bills pay the bills it's easy and let and just let pay pe- the bills let people have free internet right now let them have the communication devices and systems right. absolutely they need the communications they also need to be at home they need to be entertained they need to not yes. worry about paying a bill and it would put a little extra money in their pockets. Simple, fast, it could be done overnight, uh, and it would it would help. Uh, mm. You obviously, I mean, you can you can uh, cover uh, the costs of of other utilities as well, but those seem to me to be universal and 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 extremely useful thing to do. Yeah, why not? That's, do why, that? that's why, by the way, by the way, we're thinking about how to how to provision people. It's much more sensible to this business of sending out money to tax filers is just a very inefficient thing to do. Uh, and it's now this one is done, but in the next move, it's not going to be adequate. The next move, where the way to do it for most people, who, for people who are wage earners, is to again let the employers continue to pay them. They don't have to pay them a hundred percent because people's or costs are down. But the British are doing this eighty percent. The Danes are doing seventy-five, um, and then the paychecks continue to flow, and people don't have to file for unemployment, and they don't have to file. They don't lose their health insurance, and they can. They, and they can be called back when the businesses reopen. So you keep you keep the reopen. businesses somewhat open. Right. Uh, you pay well, people. Well, no, no, you don't keep them open. They're they're being paid to stay home. But, but as I say, mm-hmm. what the business does is it continues to send out the checks. It goes to its banks, tell the banks to give every business a zero percent loan to cover that, mm, and then the I see. companies the companies reclaim it from the government uh, at tax time. Uh, it's an easy, easy way well, to do it. There's many, do it. Yeah. many fewer employers than there are. People, uh, we know they know, the government knows who they are because they all pay taxes. They all have a banker. It's just that's the way to handle wage workers. Doesn't help gig workers. But gig, then you free up the unemployment insurance system so that gig workers can get on that. Right. right? Self-employed. That's people. how you're tr- mm-hmm. try, trying to keep people uh, roughly in the same position that they were before, not to have as, a whole lot of disruption in their lives, not to lose their the health insurance in the case of wage employees who are covered by their employers, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, then you sort it out later on. Uh, but the government could do that, sending out things to tax filers. So you got a tax return from two years ago. People have had babies. Maybe they were in school in 2018, had a low income. It's completely, it, it, in many ways, this can be very haphazard. And of course, paper checks won't go out for weeks. 
Mm. Uh, if you don't have direct deposit, if you don't have a bank account, you have mm. to wait for a paper check. And then you have to walk to the bank and cash it or to someplace and cash it. Uh, maybe you cash it and they have to pay a stiff fee for that. Right. It's a terrible way to proceed and it should not be done again. So um, your, way would, better, your way would be many, to just explain yeah, this again. Many better ways to, to get people to get people uh, provisioned and, and, and again, don't, we want to hold them in place, shelter in place, mm-hmm. safe and secure. That's the, that should be the objective there. If the if the so the government would would give this no interest loan to companies. No, the bank. If, you have a bank. The just bank tell would the give banks, it. Yeah, the the bank gets money from the Fed. It can, the bank can extend that loan at zero percent to the interest to the to the to the business, and so the paychecks continue to flow. And then the the at, in every three months the business tots up the bill and and the government writes a check. They pay back the loan. It's easy. That's it. Wow. Yeah. It's totally easy. I mean, it's just, and you only have, you know, the number of businesses is a fraction of the number of imp- of people that you're trying to reach, and it flows through a system that already exists. Give me I mean, another idea. Yeah. <laughs> this is there's yeah. two great I mean, ideas. It wasn't, it wasn't just. I have to say this. This is not. This is not a partisan idea. Uh, someone else who came up with it at exactly the same time as I did was Glenn Hubbard, who was the former chair of the council under George W. Bush, and I communicated with him. We agreed this is exactly the way to go. Mm. Right? People right. need to get over the idea that you don't work through businesses. Oh, and by the way, you don't exclude big companies. Half of um, American workers are working for companies that all, and have over 500 employees. Do it with them as well. I mean, there's this is there's not a problem. Uh, they, they if companies are shut down and people are have lost losing revenue because they're not producing, let them get reimbursed for the that part of their wage bill that uh, people are are staying at home. What about when we are no longer at home, we're out of the house, we can come back to work. Um, how do we restart this? How do companies who have lost all this money, um, how do they, you know, get, especially I'm thinking small businesses where they, how do they reboot well, and bring people back? You know, I mean, some of them, of course, are going to be protected by the, by the bailout funds. Uh, for a while, anyway. Uh, but this is going to be a big problem. These companies have have lost their revenue; their debts are still there. Uh, and of course, many of them afterwards, as we're talk, talking about this, are going to have be in a different economic position. They're not going to have the same uh, revenue flow through uh, with respect to their fixed costs that they had before. I mean, airlines have airplanes they have to maintain, uh, and they're not going to have the passengers to provide the same level of revenue that they had before. So think about that and many, many other examples. Plus, on the other side of it, we're going to need, as I said, we're going to need a whole armies of of, of public health workers and of people to uh, provide uh, uh, the kinds of safety and security that we haven't had. So the structure of the economy is going to change, and we need to think about that. That's a problem that we can start thinking about a few weeks off when the, when we've we've dealt with the first wave of problems, which, as I say, as I keep saying, we have to get the the uh, keep the caseload as, uh, uh, to the below the point or at you know low enough so that the whole health system isn't totally overwhelmed. If we can possibly do that, uh, that means the quarantines have to work. And to make the quarantines work, you have to have a solid supply chain that people have confidence mm. in, uh, and you have to have uh, 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 a uh, safety and security in your home, which means people can't be evicted, they can't be foreclosed, they can't have their utilities cut off. Uh, those are, are amongst the basic things that, that need to happen immediately. 
you know, I've, I've, uh, I've read you for years and, um, uh, one of the things I've, I've really appreciated reading is how <clears throat> you talk about the, um, the myths of the free market, the free market system, the free market system will save us. It's the best way. It's, it's so much better, uh, uh, and more efficient than if the government did it or some sort of public, uh, system did it. And, and you've written really, I think really important things about this. I just wondered if you'd share some of your thinking about that, because especially I've been you know, thinking about this whole thing with, yeah, look, um, my, um, my grandmother worked on the machine gun assembly line at AC spark plug, uh, which is part of general motors in Flint, Michigan during world war two. And they turned that spark plug assembly line, making little spark plugs into making machine guns in like nothing overnight. And, um, and this whole thing this past week with general motors and the trying to get the ventilators and having them, and then whatever fight Trump got into them, which again, my opinion has a lot to do with the fact that it's being run by a GM is run by a woman now. And, uh, and the, the governor of Michigan is a woman. And so he picked a fight with these two women in Michigan. Um, but, 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 ser but here's the thing I don't understand it. It, they, they tried to get this going and it back in your dad's time when they just took over the rubber <laughs> industry and, or, or they had general motors start building planes and, tanks and things like that um we can't seem to we're just chasing our tail here what is going on what has happened because there was private enterprise back in the in the 40s uh oh, sure it was, a, it was capitalism uh why hasn't capitalism saved us in this moment why can't we get make these masks for christ's sake i just let give me your thoughts on this because it seems that that we are witnessing uh really right up front up close and personal how uh the free market um has not only not saved us here but is really in the way well what what firms did um as they particularly with the combination of free markets and uh globalization was that they uh, and you know as much about this as anybody in the country they they outsource uh, they went to cheaper sources. Uh, they got their 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 various components, their parts, their their source chemicals, and so forth more more uh, cheaply than they could before. And in some cases, coming from very efficient, low cost suppliers. I mean, I don't doubt that. Um, and, uh, uh, so they were taking advantage of the opportunities that were there uh, to um, cut their costs uh, and. Uh, and the result of that was that in many pieces of the supply chain were not present, are not present in this country, in the, at least in the capacities that we presently need. That wasn't true in the 1930s. The trade had, world trade had collapsed. First of all, it was never, world trade had never been, uh, in, industrial trade had never been extended to the global scale before the 1930s. It was mm -hmm. industrial countries were industrialized and the poor countries were suppliers of raw materials uh, and, and tropical uh, food products. Uh, so the world changed. We now have a, a broadly industrialized world uh, in which there are low-cost suppliers who are critical to supply chains. And suddenly the supply chains uh, buckled. Uh, you know, I leave aside the Chinese case. India uh, produces a great many uh, generic pharmaceuticals, uh, and 
uh, when the crisis hit, they banned the export of a certain number of them because they needed them for domestic supply. Uh, and you can see the same kind of phenomenon all, all happening all over the world. Uh, in the case of medical masks, well, we were getting a lot of those from, oh, guess where, from the city of Wuhan. Uh, and uh, they, uh, needless to say, when Hubei was locked down, though, that supply was not available. Uh, what the Chinese were able to do, and what we have not demonstrated the capacity, was to raise their production. They had a lot of small firms, and they're Chinese firms. These are not necessarily state-owned firms. There were 3,000 firms, I read, that went into medical mass production. Uh, and they, in three weeks, they raised the capacity from like 15 million to 100 million. And I think the number is per day. I can't be entirely sure of that, but I think it was 100 million masks a day. In three weeks, six-fold increase in capacity. How'd they do uh, that? How, how did they do that? Seriously. Well, they have a lot. I mean, I, I can tell you, I have a, I have a son uh, in uh, Brattleboro, his wife have a little business, uh, which is uh, uh, a uh, uh, it's a specialty product for uh, for transgender people, uh, and they're converting right now into ma- medical mass productions. I'm totally proud of them. Uh, and uh, this is Shapeshifters Limited of Brattleboro, Vermont. Mm. Uh, my son, his wife, and maybe one or two employees at the moment. Chinese had 3,000 of these firms. So they, 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 they have a vast textile industry, right? They have a vast apparel industry. Uh, so they're producing clothing for the world. It's all cloth and sewing machines, and you get a pattern to make masks, and suddenly you're making them. Um, it's not necessarily the high-tech uh, uh, virus proof mask, but they protect people. And everybody in China is wearing them all the time. Uh, so the, uh, they were able to move very quickly into a, a kind of mass mobilization uh, to get the medical supplies that they need. Are you saying it's because we don't have enough small businesses like that to do that sort of thing? or? Well, well, it is. There are, in fact, you know, it's, I think, relatively small scale compared to uh, I mean, obviously, very small scale compared to what the Chinese can do. But there is a lot of, of, of self-organization going on as people try to, to throw what they can into, the, into this fight. Uh, but the reality is uh, the society, which was organized closer to the foundations of the basics of what people need, uh, was more resilient. Uh, and our society, which is, we, we, we do some things very well in this country, but we obviously have dominated the, the, uh, the software industry and the information technology and aerospace and those things. But we've relied on, on, on the rest of the world to keep us supplied with, 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 for example, clothing. And it turns out that that's a capacity which has important uses. Uh, and we need to maintain, obviously, going forward, we need to build sufficient internal capacity so that we can deal with the kind of crises that we're now dealing with. You mean so we, need to, we need to be able to make clothes here? Yeah, well, that's, I mean, it's not saying we have to make all our own clothes, but no, we have to have some. You, you have to think about what the, what the, what the, what your, your scenarios are for what's happening now, learn from that experience and, uh, and, and make provisions, which means that there's, you know, there's less for other things, but this is obviously where we've, we've cut everything to the, you know, the margins to the bone. Uh, and that's very efficient. That's what the that's what the market teaches you to do. That's what every economics class teaches you is the right thing to do: maximize profits, minimize costs. Uh, but it leaves you fragile. It leaves you bra- uh, prone to a breakdown, and that's that. That's the thing what we're seeing. Uh, and going forward, we have to think about how to how to how to how to share these capacities and how to make up uh, for 
what is a you know a lot of consumption things which we're doing into you know individual households and so forth. We need to reorganize that so that we can enjoy a, a, a nice life, a good life, uh, while while preserving the social capacities that we absolutely that we're learning now that we don't have. That we, yeah, um, that we're we're really scrambling to make up. When we come out on the other side of this, um, and we will, I do believe that um, there is an end to this. Um, but I would love it if there could be some sort of blank slate. I know it can't be completely blank, but I would love it if we could just, hey, you know what? We tried that for a few decades; it didn't work. Maybe there's a different way to structure this. Maybe there's a different way to th- think about how we do this. There is going to be on the other side a fundamental uh, choice, uh, and the fact is that uh, that there are going to be people people who've just been bailed out, people who sold short uh, in the market. I read a Reuters story that uh, that certain funds had made a profit of three hundred and forty four billion dollars on the crash of the markets, so they saw it coming and they, uh, they 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 got themselves positioned and they reaped a huge profit. Now, what's going to happen is that everybody else, everybody who owns a home or some other asset, a piece of land, is going to find they're in a down market. They're going to find that the value that they thought they had was much less. Uh, they're going to find that the mortgage payment, is they're going to be underwater with respect to their mortgages in a big way. Uh, and uh, people are going to come looking for fire sale acquisitions. And so, you know, your your, your apartment building, your, 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 your suburban home, uh, your small business, all of that is going to be uh, easy pickings, uh, and if you allow that to happen, it will. The country will become even more, more of a plutocracy, even mm. more of yeah. a plantation economy. And I do not believe that the country will tolerate it. Uh, and so, I think as a political matter, you're going to see a deep. Um, let's let's just call it a fundamental choice that has to be made in order to re- to continue as a as a country that has a democracy, the country has a semblance of a of a middle class in which the broad population has some security. Uh, there's going to have to be a give on the debts. Uh, there's going to have to be a resetting of the financial system going forward. It seems to me that this is, uh, and we can't quite tell the extent of it at this point, but it just seems to me that the logic is pointing in that direction at this point. You- People need to be thinking about it. You don't think people will tolerate once again their homes uh, and being being their mortgage being underwater again uh, to where well, their mortgages will be on will be underwater and the question is what do you do about it? So what what now, do now you, what happened? What do the people happened, who are listening to this do about it? You know, let me let me let me again go back to history because uh, this was the fundamental problem of the Great Depression. So people had debts that could not be paid uh, and they were tied up. Uh, in knots. And it was also at the international level. Uh, the British and the French, after the First World War, owed the United States and they extracted reparations from the Germans that the Germans couldn't pay. And the United States ended up lending to the Germans so they could uh, repay the British and the French. And the whole thing was a big mess and you couldn't get out of the Depression. It was a big collapse. It took years to get even a recovery started. Then when you got to the Second World War, uh, households uh, earned a lot more money then they could spend. They put it into, into U.S. government bonds, and they all, at the end of the war, they all had substantial savings, and they didn't have debts because the debts had been wiped out in the Depression. And then we had a reset. And what happened after that? 30 years of reasonable prosperity, middle-class prosperity in this country. It was only after that broke down in the 70s that we started going back into becoming a country of, uh, of debtors and country of people who are terribly stressed by all the various debts 
Uh, and that is something which we have to face that is not going to be tolerable at the scale that's about to happen. So, but after therefore, we, it should be changed. Yeah, so we got into World War II. That was a, a big disruptor uh, to the Depression. It was a disruptor, but remember that half of the economy was, was being used to, to, to serve the armed forces. And that was not something anybody could consume. Uh, and so people were being paid to do that work to produce bombers and artillery shells and chem uh, explosives and everything else that was being produced, uh, and machine guns, uh, as you say. And none of that was in the in the domestic market. So all that money had to be sequestered. So what did they do? They controlled prices and rationed certain basics. Uh, they controlled prices on practically everything. That was my father's job during the war for a year, 1942-43. Got the whole system up and running. Uh, and then uh, they and they sold uh, uh, government bonds uh, to the population to hope, so that you instead of holding your your income in cash or 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 trying to speculate or trying to hoard commodities, you held a government bond and it matured in the late forties and the fifties. I remember having some. My parents put into a little savings account when mm. I was a child. Yeah, the same proud, same for me. It right. in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these were these were Series E bonds, and so. Every family that had come out of the war had had a little had a, had a more financial security uh, in 1945 than they could have imagined in 1939, mm. uh, and that's essentially the, the the story of why the the system ran for as well as it did. And of course, we know that the financial system stayed regulated for for 20, 25 years before it started breaking down those those bonds and uh, going back to the what what situation we've been in now, which is essentially a 1920s style of uh, of debt peonage uh, for a lot of people. So what, we do have some. Yeah. yeah. No, I was going to say, what is the 21st century version of what you just described? What happened in the 30s and 40s well, it's and 50s? Gonna, it's going to come on a much more compressed time scale, but the pan, the pandemic debts uh, that are piling up will have to be wiped out. And then we have to restructure the financial system and then reset the distribution of income and wealth. Who's going to wipe uh, out to the make debts? Sure that, Start with that. Who's going to wipe out the debts? How do we do you that? You wipe them out. You simply cancel them. Cancel the debts. Yeah, yeah. of course you do. So give that's people, what, that's what, start by giving yeah. people an, an, an even footing that they can stand on instead of being sure. crushed. Sure. I mean, it's certainly no debt which is built up in a service of 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 serving the the world by staying at home in a public health emergency uh, should be considered a you know something that you that you have to worry about later on. I mean, I, people who are sitting home for two months and don't have any income and they have mortgages to pay and so forth. Those debts are not, they're not going to make up that income. They're not going to have two months extra income in the third month when they right. go back to work. But, but because, they so stay, that, because they stayed home, that may have resulted in me living. So I want my government to make sure that they're not in debt because that sacrifice of. of that's right. Being well, I would, I, would up, say, I would say they are allies in a war effort. They're that's allies the right in a parallel. war effort. Yes. And, and allied, inter allied debts need to be canceled. That's okay. what got Europe back on its footing in 1953. The London agreements, uh, well, the, the inter-allied debts were canceled, and the London agreements, the German debts were canceled too, or were reduced very heavily. So next year, next year, federal. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You know, yeah, federal Republic of Germany got back on its feet. Right. Yeah. So we cancel the debts, right? What's we're going to have to we're going to have to forgive two. a lot of debts going forward for sure. Okay. Step two after the debts. Well, then you then you have to decide what you really need in order to have the kind of, uh, as I say, the capacity to deal with this kind of crisis, which we clearly don't have now, haven't had. 
Uh, and so you're going to have to, to, to obviously you've got, you've got to have a public ha- health system that functions and that people can use and that serves their needs and that doesn't bankrupt them. So the whole system of healthcare is going to have to be revamped. Uh, and, um, and then, then you, you, then beyond that, I mean, there's a lot of things that, uh, uh, that we will need in order to have, uh, uh, the, the the kinds of capacities I mentioned that simply simply monitoring and making sure that people are are are, uh, te- are are able to get tested frequently as they need to be, so that when there are future outbreaks, they can be dealt with surgically. That is to say, by by isolating the people who are infected and getting them under control locally, rather than having to deal with mass shelter-in-place policies that we're doing now. Korea, by the way, has succeeded up to a point in doing this. And they've got some problems in Seoul at the moment. But they have mass testing. Uh, they did not go to a full-scale lockdown as they did in Hubei and China. Uh, the Chinese situation was really very, very grave because in Hubei, they were overwhelmed and they let they had to let people die in Hubei in order to save the rest of the country. So that's a kind of wartime, hard wartime decision that they made, but it mm. didn't work. In Korea, they didn't have to make that decision, and they 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 got the uh, uh, the uh, uh, testing regime up, uh, and so they're able to isolate. There's particularly a problem with particular churches in Daegu and uh, and some other special circumstances, um, and um, you know they're 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 able to, to, so far, to keep it more or less under control. And that's where you want to go. And that way, you, most people live more or less ordinary lives, uh, but you have a much more robust system uh, for uh, uh, making sure that if things like this, and this is not the last RNA-based virus that we're, humanity is going to see, are, are identified quickly and dealt with quickly and that they don't become as disruptive as, and as deadly as this one is. Mm. So the pandemic or post-pandemic is is and should create a number of jobs that pay a decent wage. Um, oh, many, many. And it's, 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 it's those jobs, but it's also jobs that we have now. We have to understand how critical they are. You, you can't, again, I come back to the, the people who manage the, the, the food chain, people who pick, the people who, who ship, the people who pack, the people who sell people who provide security and so forth. All of those have been, been very badly treated people, but they're, they're, they're absolutely critical frontline people right now. Uh, and they need to be absolutely uh, both paid decently, but even more of that, they need to have adequate protections. I could go into a grocery store, certainly around here, and uh, by at least what I'm told is that you don't see uh, that the, the employees have the protections they need. I know the Instacart workers are now on strike. Uh, to try and get better better treatment, um, but they also should have their me- they need to have their medical care provided for. Wasn't that one uh, thing? We, one thing we should definitely fix after this huge medical uh, uh, disaster is that oh, ev- no question, everybody no question has never everybody nobody That's should after this ever have to worry about their health care again. Period. Uh, this is clearly clearly a lesson, and are they. You know the situation is such that if you have a large population, I know in Dallas it said there are two hundred and fifty thousand people who are uninsured and a lot of undocumented uh, workers. I know in Austin the pe- the, the infection rates in the areas which are uh, are have a lot of immigrant population that are higher, uh, and people are afraid to go to the doctor. They don't they don't want to be bankrupted. Maybe they don't want to mm-hmm. be identified. They don't want to have their documents checked, uh, and they're you know that's. That's not just a tragedy for them and their 
their families, but it's it, it, the whole community is, uh, is inadvertently exposed at that point. So you have to have a system in which public health extends to the entire public. Everybody inside the borders has to have access to it. Right. It's not impossible. I, I, I say you go to go to Britain, uh, and I, I had an episode of passing through the airport, and they shipped me off to a hospital. I was all right in an hour and a half. They handed me a piece of paper with my name, with my address misstated. It said, James Galbraith has been treated and is discharged, period. I walked out and never saw anything more of it. It's not impossible to do that. You no think, bill, you, you think no we insurance, nothing. Of course, we can do it. Yeah. British can do it. It's you know any other country can do yeah, it. It's, a, we it's have the way healthcare is organized. The, the plutocracy you referred to. They right. Uh, I know, but I, I agree with that. And and of course, it's been exceedingly difficult. You can talk about how the presidential debates. Everybody was talking about what is Medicare for all going to cost, and on and on and on. Uh, this is uh, you know the world has changed uh, in the last few weeks. Uh, people have to recognize that the that the system that we had has melted down. Uh, it's like a reactor accident. It is not reparable. Uh, it's going to have to be revised. The question is how quickly we recognize it, how quickly we move to do it. Uh, the, uh, uh, what, what, what we're seeing now is, uh, is it's just going to begin to build uh, as the, uh, as the bills come in. You mentioned the debates and the talking about Medicare for all. How come I haven't heard that that question in the last month? Um, how are you going to pay for that? Um. <laughs> oh, my my friend and colleague Stephanie Kelton has just got a really excellent piece on that when she talked about her experience on the Senate staff uh, working for the Budget Committee, working for Bernie, yeah. uh, and how every time she did something, so what's the pay for? How are you going to pay for that? And then, uh, of course, uh, what what has been revealed with it, it, to the tune of two trillion dollars is that you don't need to pay for it. If you have to do it, you do it. Right. Uh, whether this was the right or the wrong thing to do, it's certainly nobody considered, you know, how to raise two trillion dollars in additional tax revenue to fund a bailout or to fund uh, the other things that are in that bill. They just put the money into the system. And the answer is that's because the government can do because that's an inherent power of the government. Uh, whether it's the wise thing to do in a particular circumstance is another question, but it's clearly a power. And what it reveals is the, that the fact that the water systems are not fixed in Flint and the fact that um, you know everything else, that the, that the, that the uh, roads and the bridges are in poor shape, and is, uh, anything else that you want to talk about it hasn't been done in this country. The fact that the public health system is withered. Uh, that is not because we couldn't pay for it, but because we didn't want to, because the powers that be didn't have the will or the interest. And that, of course, so uh, is uh, you know we're now paying we're now seeing the price. That's very uh, painful uh, for you to bring up uh, Flint as this example because sure. it no, um, no. well it's I um, I have a good friend who uh, works at the uh, Javits Center and um, I we the whole city here in New York watch the Army Corps of Engineers come in to the Javits Center. This is a, this is a convention center. And they do, they do the auto show there. They do the boat show, right? They came in, and in three days, they said they were going to build a thousand-bed hospital. In three, three and a half days, they built an almost 3,000-bed hospital. It was the most amazing thing. I hope somebody set up a, a time-lapse camera on it. Um, and it really, I mean, you right away, you think, wow, we can do anything, can we? 
and and I just and I had I had sent like an open letter to the Obama administration back in I don't know, 2015 asking the president please send the Army Corps of Engineers to Flint they've got to dig up these pipes these water pipes it's all poison it's all lead uh, they got to dig up the main lines they got to dig up the lines to go to each house it would it just hit to me it just seemed like this is something the Army Corps of Engineers could do and do just like that I mean in that case and it would probably take a half a year to a year to replace the pipes in the city but I studied other cities who've done it and it's not impossible you just have to have the will like you said and you have to have the you have to make the decision that this is important and you have to, yeah and you have to have the people who can do it. And of course, it, it, as again, as Governor Cuomo said when he when he spoke yesterday, the, the, those people are top shelf, uh, and that's what that's the spirit and the capability that we need to have in this country. And the people who can do that, and the people who can who, who really understand the public health issues, uh, need to be given uh, the, the authority and the uh, and the resources. Uh, to do the job that they that's that's required, and once we see what we can do, and the example you gave is just excellent. There's no reason why it can't be applied to a whole host of other things that have been neglected for such a that long we time. could fix, and would provide employment, and would provide do all these of things. Course. What is of wrong? I, I, mean, I, hate, I keep saying this. What I mean, this is, is wrong with us? What is this wrong? This is what the New Deal. This is what the New Deal did. Uh, the New Deal uh, was a massive construction project uh, that uh, it, it gave the Old South a, a new life, uh, it electrified the country uh, in a literal sense, electrification. Uh, you know, uh, and we, we don't really understand the extent to which we still live with uh, the uh, fruits of that new deal. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here in Austin, Texas, and uh, we have electricity that comes from the Mansfield Dam. That was a New Deal project. We have these lovely lakes uh, that were, those those dams were a New Deal project. We have uh, the University of Texas main building. That's a New Deal project. We have uh, museums that are New Deal projects uh, that are, uh, we have a San Antonio Riverwalk just down the road mm. uh, is, yeah. is a New Deal project. There is vast things, and it's also yeah. it's also art and music and 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 writers. We supported a lot of people doing useful things. Uh, so that model exists in American history, and it's the right thing to think about as we think about what happens once we get the immediate crisis under control. I um. There was a there was a new a New Deal project in the town I live in in Michigan, um, a, a, a WPA building, and um, it had sat vacant for a number of years. And I thought, you know, that would make a nice little community theater. And um, <clears throat> so I led the effort to set up this nonprofit. And um, I had already done it to one theater, and I and I did it. I, I built, you know, kind of remade this thing. I had a bunch of friends there into a into a theater and save this old roosevelt funded building uh in way in northern michigan in the middle of nowhere and um it uh this yes so much of that still lives with us um uh you know friends of mine who sign up for medicare you know they are they're reminded of that where we would we even have this if it weren't for that and, um, and it's an inspiration for the world. The New Deal did, in addition to the physical things, it provided social insurance, yes. social security, provided unemployment insurance, deposit insurance. It provided the minimum wage. It got the unions organized in the, through the National Labor Relations Act. It really uh, tr- 
gave us the structure of life that made the middle part of the 20th century successful. And that's why I went out there when people were talking about the, the great challenge of climate change. It's the Green New Deal. And people think about green, but the New Deal part is a very important thing. I have to say, I organized a conference on, on New Deals in Europe and America just here in Texas in November. And that's up on the, on the website at the LBJ School. And so a lot of people who knew quite a lot about it, including some very wonderful people from the New Deal Preservation Association, the Living New Deal. Mm. Uh, uh, that That's a great website that people can, can understand just exactly uh, how America came to be what it is now through the through the work that was done by the WPA, the Civilian Conservation Corps. Yeah, uh, my dad was in every, that. He built state every, parks. Every, every agency <laughs> you can think of, sure. He was a worker, you know, 19 years old, building state parks in Michigan right. with CCC. Right, right. That's right around where you are, the Triborough Bridge, the Lincoln Tunnel, those are New Deal projects. Wow. You know, and you mentioned your father a couple of times here. And uh, so if you don't mind me, uh, bringing him up, I uh, I don't mind at all. Okay, good. I, I uh, he is or was, of course, uh, the great uh, John Kenneth uh, Galbraith, and uh, and he, um, um, my um, my cousin, her dad was a, a state assemblyman in New York City, and they were the New York part of the family that we didn't know that much, but they would come to Michigan every summer, and then and then every other summer we'd go to New York and. Uh, uh, her father was part of Roosevelt when Roosevelt was governor in New York was part of his, you know, team of uh, Democrats. And, um, and I, I remember hearing your father's name at a very young age because my cousin, uh, Patricia, uh, just was, had all this history from FDR. Um, and after the war and all this, she was born in 46. Um, but uh, but as a young child, this your name, your dad's name would come up, and um, and so I was just as a curious, you know, eight or nine year old, I was always trying to pay attention to the, this sort of thing. And of course, your father was still alive then, and uh, very active in um, in these things now. That <clears throat> man, what did we do? Take it for granted back then that we that that we got to this place now. This the income inequality. You know, you've you've written books about that. Uh, all these things that, you know, if your father were alive today, if, if he were here to help, you know, what, what's, what's the thing he would do the morning after the Pearl Harbor that we're in the middle of right now? Uh, you know, what's the, th what's the inspiration we need to take the thing that you or I, uh, or anybody listening to this needs to do tomorrow, the next day, next month, whatever it is. Um, because like you said, we don't have a lot of time here. We have to act very quickly right now in the short term to save lives and in the longer term to, to rebuild uh, a crumbled uh, uh, society in some sense that um, people are saying, Oh, it's going to take 10, 12, 15 years to, to do this re rebuilding. I'm thinking, Oh my God, we don't have 15 years. You know, yeah. I'm just, well, I'm just I, <laughs> channeling his thinking and, and the good graces that you got to be raised by him uh, what a blessing, uh, that must've been. I, I say that, not, you know, maybe he yelled at you at dinner every night. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, it was an, it was Cut your hair, James. Cut your hair. I, I have no complaints <laughs> about it. Uh, but let's, uh, if I had to think right now, what, what would be in my father's mind, I think it is those crucial moments at the outbreak of world war two, uh, when he suddenly found himself responsible for 
one of the most important pieces of the U.S. economy, which was to prevent inflation and keep civilians supplied in a steady way. Uh, and I would argue that he would probably say that not only do we not have the time, but we, we, we have the capacity to move at once. That is, we understand what needs to be done. People, people fall together into, into a, 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 a mobilization, not only of resources, but a mobilization of spirits, uh, that uh, at a spirit of solidarity and a purpose. Uh, then uh, in a very, very short period of time, uh, the situation will begin to change. Uh, and I, I don't think we have to look back to that moment, but it's, it's clear that that's, a, that's, a, that's an extraordinarily important moment in American national life and national history. And my father was privileged to be a, a part of it. Uh, but we can look around the world where we can see that where uh, people did come together with a sense of public purpose uh, and, co- and, and, and did what was necessary to uh, you know, everybody, everybody pulling uh, in the same direction and doing their part, including simply staying at home and 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 observing the quarantine so that you don't transmit the infection, uh, then you then you can begin to bend the curve. You can suppress the virus. You can get control of it. And then the pressure will come off of the terrible pressure on the doctors and nurses and mm-hmm. medical staff uh, will begin to ease, uh, and you can begin to get uh, you know things into a position where you can start. Uh, to say, okay, how do we best manage both the situation going forward, and uh, how do we best reorganize and, uh, and leadership? It, it does re- it does require it requires an understanding that that there has to be a common purpose, and there has to be an understanding of it. It, it is possible to do these things if you do them quickly and with a sufficient yes you know, sufficient social force amongst all of us and the leadership that we need. You know, that's it's, I mean, that's leadership is one thing, but I, I actually don't think it's that's the ascent. I mean, leadership is important. Uh, leader needs to voice what needs to happen, but it really is the response of the people uh, that is right because we're not going to wake up tomorrow morning and we're not going to have an FDR suddenly. No, so. we, people, people, people need to need to understand what they need to do. They need to listen to the to the authorities who do speak the truth, and we do have some. We have, I mean, I think we everybody has come to admire Dr. Fauci and mm-hmm. people of uh, other people who who we've mentioned. I think everybody has come to admire Governor Cuomo and uh, and, uh, and other. Uh, governors and I've certainly come to admire my local officials here, uh, who are just working as hard as they can and staying in touch with their constituents. Uh, so th- this is all, uh, you know, th- th- as I say, there is capacity, uh, but it's really us. It's the it's the it's the it's the public as, as the American public, the, the world public, yeah. that needs to pull together. On I this. agree. I agree. Uh, well, this has been amazing uh, talking to you. Um, uh, and, and I, um, you know, we're all looking for some sort of hope right now. I'm looking for realistic hope. I don't like false hope or something just so I can feel better. Um, I was going to ask you how back, you know, just a few years ago, you wrote a book called the end of normal. Of course you, you didn't have this in mind, uh, when you, when you wrote no, that. I, I, I... I, I wish I had. You know, there always, you always wish you'd you'd study some things that you didn't study. It's certainly been a rapid education for me. But on the question of hope, I can come back to some an expression that uh, that our friend uh, Bill Black is very fond of, and I've often used it as well. I learned it from him. It's the expression that goes back to William of Orange: "It is not necessary to hope in order to persevere." Um, mm. yeah, wow! I'm, I'm, uh, that is. Uh, it is that not necessary to is hope. What we need. We need in we need determination. We need yeah. solidarity. We need organization. We need capa- capability, uh, and hope. 
will, hope will follow. Hope is what comes when we know that we're going to that we're that we're pulling in the right direction. Then you get a spirit. Wow, that's what distinguishes real hope from false hope, if you like. Yeah, well, that's exactly what I needed today. So yeah. thank yeah. you um, for that. How are you feeling? Are you holding up okay? Uh, your your health is. Oh yeah, I, I, I'm. I'm. Uh, I have to say, I, I'm in a household under extremely good discipline and control, and it's not mine that's responsible for it. I'm exceedingly grateful to the for the, the family support that I have right now. It's just right. uh, I, my wife and my daughter are here uh, and, uh, and we're good. Uh, we're, we're certainly as everybody's as, good uh, and everybody's inside basically. Uh, right? Everybody's, everybody's basically inside. Uh, my wife goes out once a week uh, and she knows the protocols. She's been studying them carefully. So, mm-hmm. so she's we're, 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 we're doing our, our bit here. And I have to say, I have three other children uh, who are not here. Uh, one of them is out on the front lines in Portland trying to raise money to support service workers in Portland, Oregon. He's a mm. cook. He's laid off, obviously. His restaurant is closed. Uh, my, my trans son up in, in Vermont is making me- medical masks and, and their little business with his wife. Mm. Uh, and my daughter, Eve, who's a musician, uh, has been shopping for people, but also she's been composing some wonderful music in her own her own little house and space in South Austin and, mm. uh, and making that available. So everybody's, everybody's in my family. I'm, I'm totally proud of my children. Wow. Well, you must be. Wow. That's, that's incredible to hear. And, yep. um, you know, I look forward to the, actually, you know, that test that's coming out where it's going to be able to tell you whether maybe you've already had it, uh, that you're already maybe immune, um, you know, from the, from the virus. Um, yep. you know, as soon as I'm told, that I'm, I'm good to go. I just, I want to, I want to go volunteer somewhere and just pitch in, you know, whatever it is I can do. Um, you know, I think a lot of people feel that way. I'll look at all the retired doctors and nurses that have come forward to volunteer and all of this. It's, uh, it, that does give me some hope that my fellow human beings, my fellow Americans are, are still very good people. There's no question that they are. And that's really, uh, it makes one understand who, what, who, and what really is important in life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, if that spirit prevails, we'll be in good shape. Uh, I think there's some, you know, there'll be some rough passages to getting to that point. But you can already see it. Uh, you can already see it as a, uh, um, as, as people really do understand uh, what dedication and professionalism that so many people are showing, uh, and and just and they're in their basic continuing to do their jobs under enormous stress. I mean, it's amazing to me. Uh, yeah. Well, listen, uh, James, uh, James, James Galbraith, th- thank you for this. No, I really appreciate it. And uh, please stay well. Uh, people like you, we need you. We're going to need you, especially um, when we come through this uh, and to thank, build thank that you society. And, uh, it's a wonderful experience talking to you. I meant to say, I appreciate it very, very much. Well, I'm honored. Thank you. And thank you to all of you who've listened to Rumble here uh, today. Uh, I think uh, we now we know what we have to do. Um, and uh, and I know a lot of people are already doing it. So thank you. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thank you.